millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who are the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 76 of Fan of History. 8,500 B.C. Previously on the Fan of History, we talked about the Folsom culture, the Maglemosian cultures, the findings at Starcar and Cramond in the U.K., pre-Potter Neolithic A, and the Nanshuangtu culture. Today... We will reach the end of the 9th millennium BC and the beginning of the 8th millennium BC, a time when agriculture became widely practiced in the Fertile Crescent and Anatolia. And we will begin at Nevali Kori in 8400 BC. Nevali Kori was an early Neolithic settlement situated on the middle Euphrates River in southeastern Anatolia. The site was excavated from 1983 to 1991 during the construction of the Ataturk Dam by the University of Heidelberg under Professor Harald Hauptmann before it disappeared under the water of the Ataturk Dam. The settlement consisted of long rectangular houses with two to three parallel flights of rooms known as mezzanines. These were adjacent to a rectangular anti-structure subdivided by wall projections that could be seen as residential space. Thick multi-layered foundations made of large angular cobbles and boulders provided even surface to support the structure interrupted by underfloor channels that were covered in stone slabs that could have served as drainage or cooling of the houses. Deposits of human skulls and incomplete skeletons were found inside some of these houses. 
An area in the northwestern part of the village contained a cult complex that had been cut into the hillside. Stratums 2 and 3 had a terrazzo-style lime cement floor. Pillars similar to those at the earlier site of Gebekli Tepe were built in the dry stone walls with two freestanding pillars of a height of 3 meters in the interior of the complex. Local limestone was carved into numerous statues and smaller sculptures to create human, bird and anthropomorphic figures. Several hundred 5cm clay figurines depicting humans were fired at temperatures of between 500 to 600 degrees centigrade. That suggests that ceramic firing technology started to appear with the intention of using these figurines at some kind of votive offering. And now we're going to talk about Asikli Höyuk. That is approximately 8000 BC. I apologize to any Turks out there for my pronunciation of their language, but that is kind of my thing to butcher foreign languages such as English. Okay, let's go back to Asikli Höyuk. Asikli Höyuk is a settlement mound located near the banks of the Melendis River in Cappadocia in southern Turkey. The site was first discovered by Professor Ian A. Todd in 1964, but full-scale excavations did not start until 1989 under the supervision of Ufuk Esin from the University of Istanbul. Dated to approximately 8000 BC, the site contained simple adobe house structures totaling 400 rooms with as many as 70 burials located beneath the house floors. These one to two room houses featured 0.48 square meters to 2.97 square meters rectangular hearths placed in one of the corners of the room. Large stones with a flat shape were used to create an upright edge approximately 20 centimeters above the floor level. On the short side, the upright edge is missing in order to make a fire mouth with concentrations of ash. Along the edges and base of the hearth, pebbles seem to have been covered with a thin layer of plaster with only a few traces of something we would recognize as a flue. Now, these houses had no doors or windows inside them, so it must have been pretty dark inside with only the roaring hearth as a source of heat and light. So how did you get into these houses? There was only one way to get in and that was through the roof. Like the later Katal Höyuk, people had to enter their property by ascending an exterior ladder before going through an opening in the roof by descending an interior ladder. This continues to occur in some countries today like Egypt where if it gets too hot inside people will tend to either congregate or sleep on the floor. A small chink of light was possible by leaving one or two gaps in the walls but you couldn't really call them windows. It would be like peering through an eye of a needle to see what the neighbors were up to. No more than 70 burials were found in pits placed underneath the floors of the settlements. The evidence show indications of increased physical workload in both male and female skeletons. 
with male skeletons showing signs of joint disease and trauma caused by cutting timber and tilling the soil. In one of the graves, the skeleton of a 20 to 25 year old female had provided evidence of trepanning, the earliest known brain surgery in the world. The most notable discovery, apart from the houses and burials, relates to a 25 square meter square shaped structure that showed evidence of a plastered interior painted in red ochre. Each corner contained a wooden post placed on top of a large stone. Archaeologists suggest that this structure was used as a ceremonial place with evidence suggesting that fluid was poured at these ceremonies. Was this a temple or a simple communal building? The jury is still out on that one. The main importance of this settlement though was the location of rich supplies of volcanic material known as obsidian. The obsidian enabled the settlers to trade with other communities as far off as Syria and possibly even Cyprus. Professor Todd discovered over 6,000 obsidian pieces from the surface layer alone. One of the items discovered in the 1990s was the oldest obsidian bracelet dated to 7,500 BC, 10 cm in diameter and 3.3 cm wide. The bracelet was made using highly specialized manufacturing techniques with analysis showing that the bracelet was almost perfectly regular, like a mirror, and was extremely precise to the nearest degree and 100 micrometers. The surface required usage of a complex polishing technique capable of obtaining a nanometer scale surface quality like lenses of today's telescopes. That is some achievement. Another discovery made in 1989 was of a remarkable polished agate bead necklace dated also to 7500 BC. It consisted of 10 polished beads all between 2.5 cm and 5.5 cm in length and perforated no more than 7 to 8 mm in diameter even though agate is number 7 on the Mohs scale of hardness. To drill these holes today would require the usage of a highly sophisticated diamond-tipped tungsten carbide drill. The presence of such early technology, expertise and craftsmanship does not appear overnight. So there is a likelihood that these skills were developed much earlier than 7500 BC. Figurines made of lightly baked clay were unearthed together with flat stone axes, bone chisels and coulters and copper, agate and other stone ornaments. The next place we're going to go to today is Gandare and that is about 8000 BC. Further east, in the Sagros Mountains of Iran, researched by Dr. Melinda Cedar of the Natural Museum of Natural History and Dr. Brian Hesse of University of Alabama, showed that a change was happening in that area from hunting wild goats since the time of the Antals to the domestication of goats by 8000 BC. Their work, which was published in Science on March 24 in the year 2000, challenges the idea that the reduction in size marks the initial domestication of goats, which were the earliest domesticated livestock species. 
By dating fragments of animal bone, they determined that goat domestication first took place in this highland region in Iran. People then moved with their goats over a period of 500 to 1000 years to dry lowland regions, offering opportunities for humans to expand into new ecological areas. The larger male bone... uh, There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Show signs that this individual was killed before it reached maturity. That's one of the bones from this area then. Uh, Another female bone indicates an, an individual killed at an older age. This pattern of culling young males and delayed slaughter of females is found in domestic herds today. That is goats then, so not humans, if you thought that was what I meant. The next place we're going to is the Kanda culture. Uh, That happened between 8000 to 5000 BC. The Kanda culture was a Mesolithic hunter-gatherer society that covered a forest area extending eastwards through Latvia into northern Russia between 8000 and 5000 BC. It's named after the Estonian town of Kunda, 70 miles east of Tallinn, where the first settlement was discovered on Lamasme Hill. The culture appears to have transitioned from the preceding Swiderian culture that we talked about. One transitional settlement located in Lithuania features stone tolls with retouched tanged points of both late Swiderian and early Kunda. These descendants of the Swiderians were the first to settle in Estonia, with others moving further east as far as the Ural Mountains. Most settlements were located besides rivers, lakes or marshes. Elks were primarily hunted, perhaps with the help of trained domestic hunting dogs. In coastal environments, seal hunting was carried out, whereas pike and other fish were taken from rivers. Tools were decorated with simple geometric designs that lacked the complexity with the Maglemotian culture located to the southwest of the Kanda culture. 
And then we come to another culture known as the Plano culture from 8000 to 6000 BC. The Plano culture was a group of hunter-gatherer communities that occupied the Great Plains area of North America during the Paleo-Indian period. The name Plano is a bit of a misnomer as the culture extends into the southern plateau of British Columbia to the Atlantic coast and from the Northwest Territories to the Gulf of Mexico. However, its core area would indeed be the plains. The technology has changed from late Paleo-Indian culture to early Plano culture, involved a change in projectile points that replaced the split shaft hafting method to a socketed hafting system. These new point styles were adopted across the plains and adjacent regions in approximately 8000 BC when spruce forests were being replaced by grasslands with an intervening parkland belt. This new environment was attractive to bison, herds of bison. Around 7000 BC, retreating glaciers and associated lakes permitted expansion of plant and animal communities to the north and to the east. In these regions, caribou replaced bison as the major prey animal. An eastward population shift along a narrow corridor between glacial ice and lakes to the north and expanding early archaic complexes to the south would eventually reach the east coast of North America. There was also a possible movement west of the Rocky Mountains into the southern plateau, but this is still unclear. People adopted cultural traits of early archaic origin, particularly in the use of projectile points. These changes in technology provide archaeologists with a basis for establishing a number of regional cultures east of the continental divide during the late portion of period 2. On the plains, bison hunting continued, whereas both the eastern and northern variants of Plano culture changed subsistence and settlement patterns in response to different environmental conditions. Development of a widely distributed Plano culture into two later regional cultures appears to have been realized by processes of changing technologies, such as the adoption of the spear thrower and adaption in the north and east to woodland and forest environments. And that, my friends, brings us to the Paleo-Arctic tradition between 8000 and 5000 BC. Further north from the Plano culture, the Paleo-Arctic tradition was a cultural tradition of the earliest human occupation of the North American Arctic that dates to between 8000 and 5000 BC. Tradition covers Alaska and expands into the east, west and southwest Yukon territory. In approximately 8000 BC, Alaska was still connected to Siberia via the Bering Land Bridge. People who inhabited this region were the Juaktai tradition that originated from Siberia. Eventually, this tradition changed into the Sumnagin culture, a hunting-fishing group who was defined by possession of a new technology. The Paleo-Arctic is known for its lithic remains. Artifacts found include microblades, small wedge-shaped cores, leaf-shaped bifaces, scrapers and graving tools. 
Microblades were used as hunting weapons mounted in wood, antler or bone points. Stone specialists created bifaces that were used as tools and cores for the production of large artifact blanks. Little evidence remains of settlement patterns because many of these settlements were inundated by rising sea levels of the Holocene. Remains of stone tools discovered gives indirect evidence of settlement sites. And now it's time for pre-pottery Neolithic B. And that is 7600 to 6000 BC. Pre-pottery Neolithic B was a division of the Neolithic development by Kathleen Kenyon during her excavation of Jericho. Cultural tendencies differ from the preceding pre-pottery Neolithic A in that people began to depend more upon domesticated animals to supplement their mixed agrarian and hunter-gatherer diet. The flint tool kit is new and disparate from the earlier period with one of the major elements being the naviform core. Architectural styles of the Southern Levant become rectilinear with one of the main features of houses evidenced by a thick layer of white clay plaster, floors polished and made of lime produced from limestone. It is believed that the use of clay plaster for floor and wall coverings would eventually lead to the discovery of pottery. Like the earlier PPNA, PPNB developed from the earlier Natufian, but shows evidence of a northerly origin, possibly an influx from northeastern Anatolia. The culture disappeared during the 8.2 kilo-year event, a sudden decrease in global temperatures that occurred in approximately 6200 BC and lasted for the next 200 to 400 years. And now we're going to talk about the Hovik house. 7600 BC. Amateur archaeologists John Davis and Jim Hutchinson discovered Mesolithic flint artifacts protruding from the cliff edge at Hovik in Northumberland in England. A detailed investigation of the site by archaeologists from the University of Newcastle during the summer of 2000 and 2002 found remains of a Mesolithic hut in three distinct structural phases. 21 radiocarbon dates taken from successive hearth features indicate that the hut was constructed in approximately 7600 BC, which makes it the earliest dated evidence of human settlement in Northumberland and one of the few Stone Age dwellings known from Britain. A reconstruction of the hut can be seen on our YouTube channel. So if you check out Timeline of World History 8500 BC on the Final History YouTube channel, you can see this reconstruction. Over 18,000 pieces of flint were recovered during excavations, alongside charred animal bones, charred hazelnut shells, red ochre and shell fragments. Interpretation that this was a permanent residence for hunter-gatherers is supported by analysis that Hovik is a place where natural resources would have allowed all-year-round occupation for a non-farming population. Its coastal position provided animals, flint for tools, wood for construction and fuel, fish, seals, seabirds and their eggs, shellfish, 
and a nearby source of fresh water that was available at the time of occupation. Many sites from this time are coastal, but the particular circumstances found here and the evidence of ceremonial ritual from the earlier site at Star Car are inter- interpreted as indicating that hunter-gatherers during this period were capable of establishing permanent settlements. This episode has been written by Shane Sowersby. Thank you, Shane. And uh, next time we will cover the period between 7500 and 6600 BC. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.